Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good day, cosmic avatar and a human body navigating earth and life and existence it's so great to be with you again we have part two of three with tom campbell where we are exploring simulation theory consciousness virtual reality um obviously if you listen to part one you are no you are in for it um i think in part two we we talk about defining a collective consciousness how to move beyond fear beyond fear uh how and why groups can modify future probabilities which is very interesting um we get into the double slit experiment and um so much more so this is we go beyond virtual reality so i don't know exactly where we are in this but he keeps this entire three-hour thing is truly incredible i know you're going to enjoy it if you liked part one you're definitely going to like part two i want to thank you guys so much for listening for supporting the show i hope that wherever you are in the world that you're doing amazing <clears throat> if you want to support the show the best thing that you can do is share an episode you can leave a review in itunes that helps a ton um, you can chip in on patreon thank you so much david shirley for hooking it up um, chipping in it really does go a long way thank you so much and thank you so much to all my patrons uh, it really does help um, but the best thing that you can do is one act of kindness today um, even better is t- please take the kindness challenge it's so simple it's spiritual mastery and it shows that you get the uh, the message of this podcast. So if you want to absorb this free content, and I don't care that it's free, and you want to give something back, you just say, okay, cool, I'm going to do three kind acts a day for a week, and that's it. And that is that is that is great reciprocation. So that means you're getting the message of everything that I'm intending with this podcast with that simple action. It's basically spiritual mastery in action. So three kind acts a day. Go out of your way to do it. Don't tell anybody. Um, and then you know if you do it, just let me know that you that you did it. Um, you can tell me. Um, that way I know that the podcast is working. And you're gonna probably get a universal wink. Something will happen weird in your reality um, that goes, oh wow, that's interesting. Um, so I think that. Action, spiritual action is so, so important. So if you want to support the show, please do that. Um, go to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list. If you want a free lucid dreaming um, guided hypnotic meditation and an ebook to teach you how, just go forward slash lucid dreaming. If you're interested in coaching, uh, I'm doing very different sessions, more one-on-one sessions than I normally do, um, and also one-on-one uh, monthly more in-depth coaching, but if you want to level up, if you're looking to overcome blocks, if it's fitness, health, anything in between, depression, it doesn't matter. Um, I probably can help you with that. We can do uh, hypnosis, neurolinguistic programming, all kinds of stuff, but it's basically the same process um, And and because the way that our mind is wired, once you kind of get to that root wiring and code it yourself, it's your own coding and you know how, you can really transform your life pretty quickly. So uh, 
if you're interested in that, just let me know. Check out zenathlete.com. Sign up uh, over there. Get the book. Uh, send it to a friend. And it really is self-mastery. Uh, doesn't You don't need to be an athlete. You could be whatever. So that's it. Um, before we get into this, let's just come to a powerful state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing and take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And just let it out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day, connecting to your breath and connecting to life and your own value and worth. Take it another deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just connect to the center of your heart, which connects you to all life and all your surroundings. And just let that breath out slowly with all the limitations of self-criticisms and self-doubts, just letting them go now. Take it in one last deep breath in through your nose. Holding that breath and just amplifying your energy field, feeling confident, valuable, worthy, whole, complete, connected to all of life. And just let that breath out slowly, ready to take on the day. Have an amazing day. And uh, let's get into this incredible part two with Tom Campbell. So that's collective consciousness. It can be a mob, but it also can be a very grown up high quality, low entropy, loving individual, and it works the same way. You see, as the mob does, but it does the opposite way. Suddenly, people who are around that person and kind of identify with that, with him and, and say his, who he is and what he is and what he's doing, you know, maybe he's the guru and maybe the other ones are his, uh, you know, his, his followers or something, then just by being around him, it pulls them up. They connect with him. They get some of his attitude flows to them. They feel better and they become more positive. You see, so it, it's the mob in reverse. It's good things can work the same way. So what you need to do, what we need to do collectively as a people is try to produce a situation where we get more and more thoughtful people low entropy people who are thinking positive thoughts and that will cause more people who are say on the fence positive or negative about half 50 50 it will cause them to bump over to be more positive which will call other people to become more positive you see so if we could just get that going that snowballs as well but what we got going is this negative thing, you know, life sucks, it's all horrible, you know, everybody's cheating, everybody's lying, you know, and uh, so on. And when you have that, well, that just builds more on that. And the more everybody feels down, then the more down everybody feels. And that also can, can descend in a downward spiral. So, yes, it boils down to just like in all the literature and all the plays and the books, you know, it's kind of the good versus evil, right? You have, you have one side that's kind of trying to work an upward spiral where people feel better and more positive and are kinder and gentler, and another where it's pulling the other way. Everything's starting to go in a downward spiral. So the challenge that I give to, you know, to I guess everybody listening and everybody in general is try your best to be part of the solution and not part of the problem because both of those are, are working. And if you can make your own life part of the solution as, the, as opposed to part of the problem, you know, get positive, get out of the negativity, let go of the fear. Then eventually we'll get to that critical mass of positiveness that'll just 
kind of ratchet everything up. So, all right, I've been talking for a long time. I just been, <laughs> I just been running on and running on here. I told uh, I told you at the beginning. I'm gonna sit here and listen. It's you have it's amazing. You know, you touched on so many points, and you and it's amazing because you kind of show both scenarios, so you can get a very firm grasp on what you're sharing, and it makes common sense. And you know, there's a lot of that I want to touch on, but the first thing I guess I'll go into is like this shift of. Um, what can I give? What can I get? When I'm trying to think about like the difference between an, an enlightened person or some people use the word woke or awake. Well, there are two things for sure. One of them, uh, they take responsibility for their environment, their actions, the things that happen to them. Because if you're a victim and everything's happening to you, it's really hard to be empowered to influence the probability of your life and what you'd like to create. You're disempowered. You don't feel like you can create anything or do what you want. Um, and the second thing is like, what can I give? You know, how can I help? It's like, it's, it's so simple, but it will change your entire life. It's same, same, but different. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah, there's stuff that's negative and challenging, but you know what I mean? On this giving spectrum, you're going to experience your life in the universe and reality in an entirely different way. It's such a fundamental shift. It's, it's night and day. It's positive, negative. Sure. Um, you, you, sh you shared too about, you know, the, um, weak force and strong force, not, not exactly like that, but building the momentum. And I remember reading a book by Yogananda called Scientific Affirmations. And it was really great. And I use this actually when I go to festivals and Burning Man or teach or something. It's like what, what he puts in the book is like, okay, you say an affirmation like, um, I would like this thing. You know, I would like a car or I would like a job that I enjoy or I would like a, a great partner, you know, and you define the thing that you want. He's like, but you don't put any will into it. The universe requires a will. And so if we're in an electromagnetic universe, which you may or may not think, I don't know, you can tell me after, um, but we're creating, you know, Dr. Joe um, said something along the lines is like your thoughts are the electrical um, signal to the universe and your feelings are the magnetic um, charge. And so if you have this like, will, like I want to do this thing, X, doesn't matter. And you just say it, it's like, boop, like 0 0.01 on the spectrum of like, you know, influencing the force that you're in. Mm -hmm. But if you like imagine a mother whose car got turned over and her child is under that car and she is not going to think about how heavy the car is, she's going to walk over there and just lift that thing with every single ounce of, you know, every part of her being is going to be moving that thing with what she can. She's not going to think about how heavy the car is, how much she can squat or deadlift. She's going to put everything that she is to move the car off of her kid. And so if you could take that idea of willpower into your intention, because what, what, what it's suggesting in this, the book is you're just saying the words and there's no, there's no feeling, there's no being, there's no energy. But if you take that idea and you put that every ounce of your being into that thing that you're trying to create, um, you're going to have a much different result. And it kind of ties back into the being, why do you want that thing? You know, you're not going to be able to generate that force for some sort of, I need another million dollars so I can buy more crap and get more material stuff. So I feel good on the inside. It's like, no, if anything, you might want to go like have an activity with your friends. You know, that's what you could use money for be around people who are loving and have a great experience with people you care about. That's a little bit more aligned, uh, but I don't want to digress too much. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of other things that you touched on, but what I wanted to kind of ask, oh yeah, so the egregor thing I wanted to touch on, because you ever heard about the word egregor? Basically, like it's your cultural 
um, paradigm or like the spirit of an entity. So the oil companies of the world, it's like the spirit of it, right? If you go to a Catholic church, um, it's like principles that define that culture is influencing you. So IBM creates this cultural influence. Or if you have like a clothing company like uh, Patagonia, where they're going to go out of business, but they define their company culture of like, we're going to do what's right in business. It's like the spirit of their business is this energy and it affects everything. And churches do that. Institutions do that. Schools do that. Um, nations do that. As you said, it's like this, you know, what it means to be Canadian, you know, I like, I like make maple syrup and hockey. If you're American, you know, this is a few different things. If you're Australian, whatever it's, you have this different like identity. And so if we could use that same concept and define principles um, that are loving and that are caring and that are supportive and that are cooperative. And we start to identify with that, you know, and put that intention. And that's a little bit of what's going to be happening at the Mayan Heart Festival is um, I think it, Amaya and some of the Native Americans are, are going to do a declaration for world peace and sovereignty, like a declaration is like they have a specific prayer that's going to be said out loud, then there's going to be a global synchronized meditation. And I think that if we can add this will, I'm curious um, what your thoughts would be on what do you feel is the fastest route or, or an efficient route or even just a general direction towards world peace in a real way, like in a real sense, because I think when you're talking about the positive negative swing, we're just on the negative swing and people in that fear loop, right? They're not in this, they're not um, like aware of all of this stuff. They're, they're fearful. They're in that game and it, it, they can't get to this other side yet, right? Because they're in that loop. So we need more and more to be in a little bit loving, a little bit caring, and just to be that way to pull them over. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on um, if you have ever thought about like what the fastest route would be towards world peace. Because I think that this idea of these global synchronized meditations are defining a world culture, defining a personal culture, being that wherever you are, because right now we're the crazy people, essentially, you know, oh, you meditate and you think about others and you don't do things just for money. You know, it's just like you, you try to help, like for somehow we're the weird ones at this point in time, which is terrible. Um, and we're just trying to spread the message of kindness, of collaboration. Um, I like to do the hashtag team earth and it's just like, just, you know, team earth, like let's cooperate, you know, don't murder anybody, even if they think something different, you know, just tolerate them at, at least. So anyway, I'm rambling, but you know, I'm just curious if you ever thought about a fast track or what we could do to create world peace in a real and meaningful way. Yeah, I, I do have, a have, uh, my own thoughts about how that most likely would work out, but I'll start by saying everything adds, everything helps. So everything that's positive, is part of the solution. Everything that's positive helps. So let's say that you have a, you know, a world peace thing and, and, you know, on next Wednesday or something, everybody's going to pray for peace or, you know, good vibes or whatever, you know, we're going to do some positive stuff and we do that in a big way. We get a lot of people interested. So we, we reach out and we connect to lots and lots of people and say, okay, we need some more positive thoughts in this world. So we're going to take a little time just to be positive. Well, probably the great majority of those people will only interact through their intellect. They'll say, okay, I see that. Yeah. Peace is something we need. And so yeah, sure. I'll go along with that. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be part of the peace crowd. And, you know, at that time on that day, you know, I'll take my 15 minutes or my hour to, you know, to participate and do whatever. And 
you know, I'll do that. But they don't really expect anything particular to happen. They just are going to do it because it feels good to do it. They want to be a part of something that's positive. Uh, they don't like all the negative stuff. But so you look at that and you might say, well, that's a very weak thing for them individually. They're going to go do it. And then when it's done, they'll go ahead and live their life just the way they were living it before and nothing will be different. It's not going to change them. It's not going to affect them. But it does affect them a little bit. It does wake them up. It does let them see that being positive is an important thing. It lets them exercise that positiveness, even if it's just for, you know, a half an hour, one day. So even though things like that seem trivial and they're not really changing much, that's not true. They are helpful. Everything that's positive adds. And because that one person somewhere in the world decided to spend a half an hour being positive, that gives them just one little further step up on this, this growth path of becoming positive. You know, you, you, you start to learn to swim generally not by leaping into deep water, but by getting your toes wet first and then standing, you know, ankle deep and whatever. People will gradually change. They're not going to dramatically change. So we at the, at, the, at the point where we're trying to make change, we have to realize that people are who they are. And if we even change just a little bit of their attitude, that's good. Even if it doesn't do anything marvelous that day, it's good. And it's part of the positive process. So everything helps. Everything that people do in this way is part of the solution. It's, it's helpful. Now, the way I think that it will probably work out, um, and it's just because of the, you know, where I come from, I'm a physicist, and, you know, I have my own way of looking at the world that is, that is changed by that. You know, when you're a physicist, you see the world a little differently than people who are poets. It's just the nature of the beast. So I have my own ways of looking at the world. And what I see is that these good intentions, these understandings, the fact that love is the answer and that caring about others is really the key. These people have been around forever. You know, the Buddha walked around 2,400 years ago and said that uh, this reality was, you know, an illusion. Okay, so here I am 2,400 years later saying it's a virtual reality. You know, well, what's the difference? You see, it's a it's a very similar thing. And he was saying that love, you know, we're growing. It's about individual growth and getting rid of fear. And he did all that stuff. And we've had people and movements, sometimes religions, sometimes not, sometimes other groups that have been interested in positive, loving, caring things and knowing in their hearts and minds that this is the way forward for not only themselves, but for humanity. The problem is, is it's always existed in the margins. It has always existed. It's always been there. We've never been without people who had positive attitudes and understood that, you know, love is the answer. There's always been those people around, but they've been in the, in the margins. They haven't been mainstream. Okay, now in our culture, and I'll just kind of say, Western culture in general, because even in the East, Western culture is dominant, unless you go into a temple someplace 
than Western cultures, not dominant, but basically the commerce, the business, the education, the, you know, the rat race, the, you know, the, uh, the, the big discrepancies in incomes and, and, you know, the greed and the need, the need for more money and more stuff and more things. That's not just Western. That's everywhere now. That's a kind of a world culture. And in this, this culture, there are those people who have the most influence over what the people in this culture believe, what they think, what they find credible. And in the old days, those people were called the high priests. They were the religious guys. They were the, you know, the popes and the whatever, the, the people who were heads of religions. They were the ones that told everybody else what was true and what was false. They were kind of the arbiters of, of uh, you know, what everybody else believed. If they said, this is the way it was, this is how reality works, you know, and this is what you need to believe, the masses tended to believe that. They gave their high priests credibility for knowing more about, you know, what the world was about than they did. So things haven't changed much. We still have high priests, except today they're scientists, not priests, but they still serve the, fa the same function. It is the scientists who tell most everybody else, now I'm talking about mainstream, not the people out in the margins who already have a bigger picture and have a bigger answer, but the people in the mainstream, uh, the high priests of science tell people what to believe. This is true, that's not true. This is a fact, that's not a fact. That's, you know, good science, that's bad science. So when the high priests of science declare something to be true and valid, then people tend to believe, okay, that's a fact, that's true, that's the way things are. Scientists don't lie to us, they just tell us what the facts are. You can trust the scientists to tell you the facts and to separate the facts from the opinion, that's their job. High priests of religion, 500 years ago had the same job, sorting out, you know, facts from opinions. And that it was the same job. So we have the high priests of science now that are the leaders of what's true and what's not in our culture. And until these high priests, until these high priests actually say something that legitimizes a kinder, gentler world that, that legitimizes a, uh, you know, a positive viewpoint that legitimizes a different, bigger picture viewpoint until they go there, the mainstream isn't going to believe it. It's always going to exist in the margins and the people in the margins, you know, what's that? The people in the margins, 10%, 5%, 20%, I don't know, but not enough to actually change the nature of the world that we live in, you know? So if we're going to change the mainstream thought, then it's going to, today, it's going to have to be through the high priests of science to do that. Because I think we can be, we can stay out on the margins and we can have, you know, peace day and peace week and, and we can demonstrate and we can explain to each other, you know, how love is the answer, and we can do that. And there will be thousands and thousands of people who will agree with us, 
And there'll be a lot of others who will kind of nod and say, yeah, that sounds good. And after they nod and say, yeah, that sounds good, they go right back to their living their lives the way they do. They won't really change themselves because you haven't gotten inside of their kind of credibility barrier, if you will. You haven't affected their life in some, some way. So that's our problem. We have lots of people that show up and nod their head and say, yes, I understand. I, I get it. You know, love is the answer. And three weeks later, nothing's changed in their life. They're just the same as they were. They're in the same job with the same relationships, with the same fears and the same ego and the same beliefs that they had before. So that's what I mean by mainstream. To get in the mainstream, you really have to have a mass changing of people's reality, of people's understanding. You have to go from a little picture to the bigger picture. And though we've always had big pictures in the margins, we haven't yet had big pictures you know, in the mainstream, at least not that lasted very long. So I think the way forward, and again, I'm very biased this way because of who I am and where I come from. So I, uh, you know, and I offer that, you know, freely, you know, this is just my, this is just Tom Campbell's viewpoint, you know, it's a, you know, grain of salt or whatever, you know, you don't have to take it too seriously. But what I see is that we are coming upon the time when, and I'd say a critical time, but we're coming to the time when this massive change in the mainstream can take place. Up until now, it just didn't have the infrastructure to support it. Up until now, all those little bubbles of enlightenment out there in the margins were all local. You know, and it's all a, you know, it, it all turns out to be um, a local thing. Well, it spreads around. Sure, Buddhism's everywhere now. Buddhism's probably spread more than any religion in the last 50 years. And Buddhists have a real caring, loving philosophy. But again, most Buddhists, just like most Christians, you know, go listen, say, yeah, nod their heads, give a little money, and then go back to their lives and are just the way they were, you know, before. You know, it's just the way people are. So anyway, um, I think that in the near future, we are going to see, or we have the potential to see, some dramatic change. The reason that it always stayed in the margins was partially, par was partially because it was local and we didn't have that kind of communications. Now we've got a global communications grid. Anything that happens anywhere of import, everybody knows about it. Well, that wasn't true when Buddha was walking around. You know, there weren't any reporters running around saying, Buddha, you know, tell me about your time under the, you know, the banyan tree, you know. Really, what happened there? And, you know, and the Buddha gives a talk and, you know, seven and a half billion people, you know, see it on their, uh, you know, on their YouTube uh, channel, you know, the next day. Well, we didn't have that sort of thing. Everything was local and things stayed small and margins stayed in the margins. But now we have the communications infrastructure that things could change in a massive way rather quickly. Never had that in the world before, okay? First time since humans climbed out of the trees that we've been in this situation, all right? Now also, 
we have science presently, physics particularly, working toward an understanding that materialism is not the answer. This is not a materialist world. And they call that, well, some of, the, some of it is, is, uh, is uh, said to be that our reality isn't a material reality. It's not about mass and charge and space. It's about information. It's an information-based world, okay? And the reason they say that is because that's what their experiments are telling them. Their experiments don't act like it's a materialist world, you know? And that started 100 years ago with a double slit experiment, and it's just been getting worse. As the time goes on, they have more and more and more experiments that say this cannot be a material world because materialism can't get the right answer here. So that's growing. And when these two forces meet, I think we have chance for emotion in the, in, the, uh, in the mainstream. And that is, physicists are, are saying that, we're, that we have an information-based reality based on their experiments. Physicists don't like that idea. They don't know where to go next, and they don't know what to say after they say that. They're kind of stuck there because they don't really know what that means. But what it means is that this reality is computed, okay? And they will, they will agree with that that far, that it's a computed reality. But where they don't want to go is, where is it computed? How is it computed? Why is it computed? Okay? Now. When you understand consciousness, you know the answers to all those questions, you see. But physics isn't going to go there because that frightens them. But they are going to get to the point someday, and I think someday over the next couple of decades, where they say, this is not a material reality. It's not about mass and force and, and space. It's about information. And when they say, yea, verily, this is a virtual reality, it's not going to be lost on everybody else, all the non-physicists, that there's this question hanging. The elephant in the room says, oh, where's the computer? Who's the programmer if this is a virtual reality? And why is it being programmed? That will kind of let what um, the cat out of the bag, you know, what is it, open the, the box of troubles or, you know, the can of worms, whatever you want to say it, that's going to raise a ruckus because that means that we are not physical beings. We are information. We are consciousness. You see that these bodies are avatars. And when we get to that point, then who is the computer? Well, I expect about then there's going to be this big fight among all the standing religions about, you know, my God's a better computer than your God or a better programmer than your God. And that will be the religion's time to jump into that vacuum and take power. But I'm hoping there'll be enough people who won't buy that, who will say, no, nah, that's just more of the same. You know, we need, a, we need new ideas here. And they're going to realize what reality is all about. That consciousness, you know, so consciousness is the thing that's fundamental. And that's why I have these five experiments that are going to do quantum mechanics experiments that are going to demonstrate that this is a 
virtual reality, that it's information-based, and that it has to be generated by a conscious will, by a conscious entity. You see, and these experiments will lend a lot of evidence to that, you know, to those conclusions. So I think when that happens, if there's enough people who understand the bigger picture, that consciousness is the computer, and that we are consciousness playing avatars in a virtual reality for the purpose of making choices that help us grow up toward love, getting rid of our fear, and that the natural evolutionary path of consciousness is to lower entropy and what that means in an information system. And again, I'm skipping a whole bunch of logical steps, but this is logic, guys. It really is science. It means becoming love. So it very logically comes to the point that our purpose here is to become love. And it's not that that sounds really cool, but that is a logical necessity of this process. The same process that's now calculating better physics says that we're here to become love. And uh, that's not an assumption. That is a logical, that's logically derived, that that is the answer. That is the only reason that we are here and that this here even exists. So when people get that kind of a message, if there's enough of us, if we can get to that critical mass where that idea seems viable, well, this planet is full of people looking for a better way. It's full of people who know that what we're doing now isn't working. It's not good. It's not best for everybody. It's not functional. It's a very dysfunctional way to carry on business, you know, and people know that. They just don't know what else to do, you know, what to do about it. It just is the way it is. So they keep on keeping on because there doesn't seem to be anything else. But once they understand a bigger picture, I think if we have that critical mass, we could over just several decades see a massive change in the mainstream because we have the communications toward a kinder, gentler world, toward an understanding that we are here to become love and that this is not just a wishful thinking kind of uh, religious thing, but it is science. It's a logically derived from first principles uh, science that does better physics and does better metaphysics and explains why the paranormal is normal and does better uh, epistemology and ontology and cosmology, all those things, suddenly all the paradoxes fall out and make sense. They're not paradoxes anymore. So if we kind of get to that point, then I think we'll see a massive change. But I think it has to happen in the mainstream. Otherwise, we'll go on for another millennia with peace and light, goodness and love, bubbles of enlightenment here and there. And it'll be a very, very slow process for those bubbles to get a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger before they get a, a mass. And to avoid the this bubble of enlightenment fighting that bubble of enlightenment, enlightenment like we ended up seeing with uh, religious wars and that sorts of things. You know, yes, we all seem to be working for the same thing, but we're doing it right and you're doing it wrong. Therefore, we need to kill you. You know, that kind of thinking isn't really progress. 
So that's kind of what we've had on the sidelines. The various bubbles of enlightenment have had the, the misfortune of, of uh, getting enough people, enough adherence, that the quality of the message gets diluted to the point that they get full of, uh, um, you know, we're better, we're right, people disagree with us are wrong, and that's a very low quality of consciousness attitude. But when organizations get big, they also get more average in their attitudes and in their qualities. So that's kind of the problem we've had. Religions and so on, they start good. It's all about love. It's all about caring. It's all about turning the other cheap and helping your brother in the big picture. And it's wonderful. And then as long as that's 10 and 20 and 30, 50 or 100 people, that's great. But once it becomes, you know, 150,000 people and 200,000 people and millions of people, uh, the whole thing degenerates into something that's now not so great anymore. It's, it uh, becomes dogmatic. It becomes ritualistic. It becomes repeat after me, do as I say. And it uh, loses its original spark of, of uh, love because it's spread faster and wider than the people had the quality to support. So I think maybe now we have this choice. It's this, this ability, this, the, we have the infrastructure, we have the ideas, we have the concepts, and we have the high priests getting to the point where they're getting ready to, to say that this is indeed a virtual reality, which tells us that there is something else at a more fundamental level than ourselves. Because the source of the virtual reality has to be a more fundamental thing than the virtual reality, you see. So that has science telling us that there is something that is non-physical to us because our virtual reality, this physical reality is virtual. There's something that's outside this virtual reality that is more fundamental than we are. And we're a subset of it. That's almost religious. <laughs> that almost sounds like, you know, you, you hear that, uh, you know, in a, in a church someplace. So when science then closes that gap between uh, materialism and spirituality and between physics and metaphysics, then I think we have a chance for the mainstream to move forward into a better paradigm. Now, will that happen? I have no idea. I just say that it's possible now because we have the communications and we have the high priests that are nearing getting to this point uh, of, of, of pointing out this, this, uh, this idea that there's something non-physical that is more fundamental than we are. Now, they would never say that, but everybody else is not that dumb. They will, they will immediately get that point as soon as they say, this is a virtual reality. The physicists aren't going to say that. Don't ask them to lead this parade, but they're going to kick it off. They're going to get the ball rolling. It's going to be everybody else who says, well, you know, where is it being computed and why and by whom, for what reason? And if we have a good model that makes sense to people, then I think we're maybe have a road out, a, pave, a path forward in the mainstream out of the, you know, so now we're talking about billions of people changing their attitudes toward who and what they are and why they're here all in the same week because of the internet. You see, that's a huge shift in thought 
from negative to perhaps hopeful to perhaps even positive, that will have a huge effect. So anyway, that's that's my happy that's my happy vision that within the next uh, I don't know two or three decades we might actually see a breakthrough in the mainstream toward a more positive attitude toward existence toward reality toward being and it's just logical steps thereafter that it's about becoming love it's not a it's not that doesn't take a leap right now to go from where we are in materialism to becoming love takes this huge leap of faith and it's you know it's a hard leap for most people to take but then it won't be a leap of faith it'll be logical science it'll be yes here are all the steps so i think that's the thing and that's just through my eyes from my perspective and uh, i see it as a possibility i don't see it as a as as a well in the short term i don't see it as a as, as necessarily having to happen but in the long term it will happen in the long term we will get there because we are here to evolve consciousness as our consciousness evolves it will become love that's what it's about evolution may be slow but evolution is tenacious and just keeps on chugging so you know it may be another you know million years who knows but we will get there because that's the nature of the reality that we're in that we will do that and when we do humanity will form something bigger than itself it, it'll be something we will create a thing that is much bigger and more powerful and more capable than any of the individuals in it that's just the nature of organization and entropy reduction so we will get there but whether that's like i say you know millennia or whether that's decades it's hard to say but for the first time in the human race's history we have all the tools in place to do it and we've never have had before we've never had the ability to actually pull this off in a big way it just wouldn't uh, wouldn't work but we're getting there so who knows a decade two decades we could actually see this ball start to roll and if it does start to roll it may be another three or four decades that the rolling you know takes place and starts to you know flesh out and become something so it's not going to be something that happens quickly but i'm thinking within a couple of decades this ball might just start off rolling down that hill and it'll continue to gain momentum so see i'm a very positive optimistic sort of guy i uh, i see good news ahead perhaps in the short term, but certainly in the long term, because that once you understand our reality and the nature of consciousness, that is where we're evolving to. And we will get there sooner or later, even if we go backwards first, we will eventually get there. But I'm all in favor of getting there sooner instead of later. I'd like a kinder, happier, happier more uh, congenial world where everybody feels like what they really want to do is contribute be helpful be caring not because they're trying to look good but because that's what they want to do and in a society like that you know the people who are very um, uh, negative toward collectivism you know and there's a lot of people who say oh yeah you get a collective going where it's about all the people and not about individuals and then you have a tyranny of the majority and it just goes to hell in the handbasket and you end up with a with a uh, 
you know, dictatorship of the, you know, of the uh, people in charge. Well, that is true. That is what happens in a fearful world. If you have a bunch of fearful people, that's where a collective ends up because eventually, like in, uh, you know, the book, uh, you know, some, what was it? Uh, some, who was in charge? The pigs, I think, were in charge in uh, Animal oh, Farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some, some pigs are more equal than other pigs, you know? So, it, you know, you're always going to have that as long as the people there have a low quality of consciousness. So if your population is fear-based, collectives will always degenerate into some kind of a, of a, uh, I don't know, what do we call it? The, you know, some kind of a fascist, uh, you know, thing. That's just the way they go if it's full of fearful people. And the only way to get a collective that's not full of fearful people is to keep it small. Oh, me and my, you know, 20 friends can do this and we can have a happy collective that's not fearful and we can do all kinds of things that are loving and it will persist as long as me and my friends are just there and nobody else comes in. But as soon as it's a, a mass thing in the mainstream, then collectives tend to degenerate to the lowest common denominator of the quality of the people that make them up. That's just the way it is. But in a world where you don't have a fear-based culture, where you don't have people that are full of fear, where you have people who are full of love and caring, it doesn't work that way. Then the collective maximizes individual freedom. It maximizes opportunity. It maximizes everybody being what they want to be and what they have talents to be. Because everybody wants everybody else to be happy, to have what they want, to grow in their own way. So if you say, oh, I don't like doing what I'm doing, well, the system will try. Everybody there will want to fix that for you because they want to help. They're asking, how can I help? What can I do? You see, not how can I abuse you? You know, what can I get out of you? You know, uh, what is it, you know, what is, what's in it for me? They're about, how can I help make this better? So if everybody in your, in your uh, organization wants to help everybody else be as much as they can be, you've optimized your freedom. You've optimized your personal choice, not ended up in some kind of uh, dictatorship someplace. It's, you get just the opposite of that. But first, we got to grow up, you see. And growing up starts with one person at a time. But hopefully, we can produce this environment in the mainstream that helps a whole lot of people grow up together because people are hungry to grow up. People are hungry for to be in a caring, nice, supportive environment. I mean, hungry isn't even the word. They're starving for it, you know. We feel that need. We feel that it's not right. We feel that what we're doing is wrong, that our political systems are wrong, our economic systems are wrong. The way we, you know, the way we sort out the haves from the have-nots is wrong. You know, it's just wrong. And it doesn't take, you know, a college degree to come to that conclusion that it's just broken. We need to do something else. So I think if we offer something else, that's not a Oh, yeah, join my religion. You know, I just want 10% of your money, and after that, you can do whatever you want. You know, we don't, you know, if we offer them something real, something logical, something that makes sense, something that doesn't have a, a leader, hopefully, something diverse, you know, 
something without hierarchy and understanding, then we will, um, we will have a chance to turn this corner. So I think it's great. I think we're in a very exciting times. I think we're close to some big stuff happening. And I think everybody, including the, those in, uh, that are in, in charge of this, this movement that's trying to shed some more light and more peace and more happiness in the world, they're all part of the solution. That's what we need because that's partly what's making people aware that this is what we need more of. This, this is what's missing in our life. You know, it's not about the stuff. It's about the caring. You know, it's about the love. It's about the relationship. So I think we're, I think we're in a point that is a very exciting time to be here. And as much as many of the people who are alive today may see actually a big change in this world toward a kinder, gentler place. It's possible. So happy, happy <laughs> news. It's possible. Oh, man. And the, more, the more we have shows like this, the more you and I talk and the more you, you help, you know, the people. Where are they in uh, Guatemala, you say? Oh, uh, that the, the festival will be in Guatemala. Yeah. Yeah, the, the more of those festivals we have and the wider reach that they have and just the more positiveness that you can get into the world, then that will help this transition work. Because otherwise, if we get to the point that people get to the virtual reality and the various religions and other groups want to, want to grab the power, you know, about the, you know, their, their religion is, is where the programmers all, you know, live and uh, you know, their gods are better programmer than the other gods. And if we get into that kind of a strife, because it'll be a vacuum, once materialism is gone at the center, there's going to be this huge vacuum, this whole power, power vacuum of, all right, you know, who's in charge of telling us what to believe now? You know, <laughs> you know me, we're going to have to figure this out on our own, you know, and actually be authentic people who know what we believe. Somebody's going to tell us what to believe and there'll be this big vacuum for that. And of course, those people who would like power and control all of the old things that we're hopefully going to get rid of, they will step right up to the front and try to sell themselves as the answer to that power vacuum. But if there's enough of us who've had enough of that and who see a bigger picture, then we won't fall for it again. We'll, we'll go another way. And with the worldwide communications we got now with the internet, with these festivals going on, with people seeing, you know, and feeling what's wrong and what's right, I think we have a chance of, of uh, having enough critical mass that uh, we'll, we'll make a, a hard right turn into the positive world in the next 20, 30 years. So that's how I see it coming. And I, I find it, you know, I find all these other things, the festivals and, and just people having meetings and talking about it and books and, you know, everything. I find all of that as a necessary prelude. It's like setting the stage. It's getting people ready. It's giving people alternatives. And we need that. And we need to keep doing that. Because eventually we're going to have choices, big choices that are going to make a lot of difference, whether we go forward a great leap or backward in a great leap. And hopefully there'll be enough people by that time that are ready to make choices wisely. So that's why you're here. That's why you have a podcast, because you're trying to spread these 
ideas out, you know, to more and more people. That's why I'm here talking for as long as it works, uh, because the more people who understand big pictures, the more likely we're going to, we're going to end up with a kinder, gentler place sooner rather than later. So, uh, and there's thousands of people like you and I all out doing their own thing to try to do this. And every one of them is valuable. Every one of them is, is part of the solution. So we just have to keep going and doing what we can do. And hopefully when we get there, it'll all work out. And if it doesn't, well, then we get to start over and try again. <clears throat> and we will make it one day. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so good. I, you know, I, I, a hundred percent agree with all of that. And my brain is like the mandala behind me trying to like process all of this. Um, but thinking of it from a virtual reality perspective or a simulation, first thing is you're the, you're the player, you're the main character. Right. So yes, we want to change the world and you can define. So you go into like that programming, the core programming is your beliefs. You got to get to like, I don't know what it is in, you know, it guys or programmers could tell me, but like your beliefs, um, you know, am I going to serve others? Am I going to take responsibility? Define the reality that I want. Okay. Look at my programming. I'm going to start to define the reality I want to be. I want to be around good people. I want to enjoy my life. I want to see the good in others. I want to help and define it right? In, in a fear base, you don't have that time um, to do that internal programming because you're, you're afraid you're going to get money. You know, you're in the mind and you're in the intellect. You can't get into the feeling and into the cooperation and into the harmony of the environment. So when you start to look at your own coding, define the reality that you want, you can change in live in that world tomorrow, today, now, just be it. So you got to define it. Then you start being it and then you get a little bit of feedback loop. So things will start to change, but you can do yeah. that individually. And what you and I are expressing is how do we do that collectively? Because right. when you're, when you're on this side, we want to help as many people as we can. Like basically right. when I go to Burning Man or festivals or meet anyone, I'm just like, Hey man, how are you? You know, lady, whatever. It's like, are you happy? No, life is terrible. And I hate my, <laughs> hate everything. I'm like, Oh, that's like, that sucks. Like I have compassion for you. I don't want that. Like right. I, my life isn't perfect. You know, I'm not joyous always. I'm, I'm doing pretty good, but I'd like to improve it. But I'm doing better than most of the feedback I'm getting for others. And I'm yeah. like, well, you're, you know that you can influence your reality. And as maybe you would put it, you can influence the probabilities of what feedback you're getting in your environment. What people do be, you want to be around? Mm -hmm. What do you want to do for your livelihood? Um, you know, all this kind of thing. And, um, man, you touched on so much. But I wanted to say, fascinatingly enough, um, when I was studying with the Native American elder, I was like, what's your view on God? And he goes, God, programmer. And he always says programmer, which I think <laughs> is very fascinating. And he said to me before, and he said on the podcast, he's like, you have two spirit guides, a positive and a negative, not to be mistaken with the good or bad, because the body is the ground in the simulation you're in. And I was like, what? Oh, crap. <laughs> I was like, I talked to this guy, Tom, before. And he's like, you guys are going to like, you guys are going to like each other. Um, yeah. And so, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's good. That's a good, it's a good set of metaphors and way to put it. But you make a good point. It's not that we're all going to be miserable and through all happy. It's not like that. You can be happy right now in this world with all its greed and all its vices and, and all the things that don't work well. You can still be happy here. Step number one is to realize that you have choices. 
and you have to take responsibility for the choices you make. And if you're unhappy, it's because you choose, you're making the wrong choices. You're letting your fear and your ego and your beliefs make your choices. And if you let them make your choices, you will be unhappy. That's, that's how you get to be unhappy. Not only will you be unhappy, you'll also be in pain and you'll be miserable and you'll be, you know, you'll never be satisfied. You'll always be like you're trying to claw your way to the top and you never quite get there. That's, and if you do get there, you find out top's not such a big deal anyway. You're still unhappy. You know, you're a millionaire and you're still miserable and you still can't have a good relationship and, you know, it doesn't work. So you can be happy here now. You just have to let go of the fear and stop blaming others Stop blaming the society. Stop blaming the institutions and the economic system and the corporations and the government. Stop blaming all everybody else uh, for your unhappiness and your misery. You're unhappy because you choose to be unhappy. You don't intellectually choose to be happy, but you make those choices based on your ego and fear that make you unhappy. So you can be a very happy camper in this world because you don't take it personally. You see, it's not about you. When you're no longer at the center of the universe in your own mind, it's not about you. So if somebody's rude to you and steps on your foot or calls you a name or says that you're a fool or incompetent, eh, there's no problem. That's their opinion. It's their problem, not your problem. You see, you don't take it on as a, as a personal insult and get upset and angry and fuss back because it's really not about you. It's about them and the choices that they're making, you see. So become an authentic people, a person, get rid of your fear, and you can live right here, right now, in the society and in the, you know, within this world that we've got, and be a happy person. Find joy, find peace, have great relationships. It's all available now, and the only thing standing in the way is your own fear. And it's not because somebody else is to blame for it. It's your own fear. And the only person that can change your fear is you. All right, guys, that wraps up part two with the incredible Tom Campbell. I hope that you enjoyed that. Um, if you do like it, please share, leave a review on iTunes, Patreon. All of that really helps to keep the show going. I love and I appreciate all of you and your support. Uh, thank you so much. You know, we're going to be diving even deeper in part three. Tom just really does a massive, massive download in this episode. And it's just beautiful and mind-blowing and exciting. And he's not even touching the physics part of it. He does whole, I think, weekend and week-long workshops just exploring the physics of it so if you're more scientific minded you can kind of see where he's going but it's interesting how it ends up to be spiritual minded and i think that's important so if you want to support the show please do an act of kindness um please take the kindness challenges let me know uh, that you're doing it let me know it lets me know that the podcast is working and doing its job um really that's the resonance you know to to take action that's it doesn't matter what you're learning what you think what you believe how much you meditate you know you could walk by a homeless person and judge what they're going to do with the money or you can give them a dollar 
dollar. You could walk that lady across the street. You could pick up a piece of trash. Getting someone's name is an act of kindness. Listening to somebody is an act of kindness. So just do three kind acts a day. Go out of your way to do it and don't tell anyone other than me so I know that you're doing it. And you could also post on Facebook and encourage your friends and that kind of thing. But you don't want to be sharing each every and every act of kindness you do and boasting about it. That kind of ruins it. It's just, you know, it's just doing it to do it, doing it to be a good human. And that's really what this podcast is about is trying to find spiritual mastery in the best way we can. And I've read a lot of books on it and a lot of courses, a lot of studies, a lot of lectures. And, you know, it boils down to my mind is always evolving, but the three kind acts a day, that's spiritual mastery in motion. That's actually living it. And it's so simple. So please do that. Kind of losing my voice, I guess. Um, have an amazing weekend. Uh, sign up for the email list uh, forward slash lucid dreaming. Get a free lucid dreaming ebook and guided meditation. Check out Zen Athlete. It's an amazing book. You don't need to be an athlete. It really is a guide to self mastery and how to code your life and your reality. Definitely give it to kids and coaches and things like that. It will change how they view the world and, and how they perform, <clears throat> how they live and their philosophy and all that kind of stuff. So thank you so much for listening. I love and I appreciate you. And before we close it out, let's come to a state of peace and coherence by just doing three deep breaths together. So wherever you are in the world, just taking a deep breath in through your nose. Holding that breath, just connecting to the center of your heart and imagining golden platinum crystal light coming down from the universe and just seeing your energy body expand out from you, knowing that you are far more than just your body and just let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day. Taking another deep breath in through your nose, holding that breath and just feeling your divine connection with life, source, the universe. And I want you to feel that presence pulse through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being as your energy amplifies. Just let that breath out slowly with any limitation, self-doubt or self-criticism. Taking in one more deep breath in through your nose, holding that breath and now just extending your energy out to everybody who's listening to the podcast, to your community, your friends, your family. See your energy go out to the world, out into the solar system, into the galaxy, just pulsing, knowing that you are a part of all of creation. So there you go. You can sit in that energy for as long as you like. Go out and do one kind act today. Have an incredible day. Remember, you are whole, perfect, whole, valuable, incredible, amazing, just as you are. You are living in the mystery. Enjoy the mystery. You're amazing. Have a a great day, and we'll see you in part three.